Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I normally say that I invite my guests to choose five things from any time in their life that they wish they had in a time capsule, four things they love, and one they'd like to bury and forget. However, recently on Instagram, Anthony McManus suggested it would be simpler, and probably clearer, if I said My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guest to pick four things they love and one thing they'd rather forget, to be buried in a time capsule. Yep, that is clearer. He also went on to say that it's something that listeners can then dig up at their leisure and open to learn more about these fascinating and lovely people. I like the idea that as a listener, you're opening up the time capsule and discovering more about the guests by the things they put in there. But I'll leave it up to you to decide. Anyway, on with the podcast. My guest in this episode is the stand-up comedian, writer and actor, Amy Gledhill. Amy is from Hull and is one half of the double Edinburgh-nominated duo, The Delightful Sausage. In 2023, her debut show, The Girl Before the Girl You Marry, was nominated for Best Live Show at the National Comedy Awards. She's also been nominated for Best Newcomer and Best Show at the Edinburgh Fringe, and never before attained accolade in the same year. Following a sold-out run at the Soho Theatre, she's now embarking on a UK-wide tour, which is why I was lucky enough to get her on to talk to me. Amy is skilled in both comedic and dramatic acting, and she's appeared in Sex Education on Netflix, Life on BBC One, Somewhere Boy, Channel 4, Alma's Not Normal on BBC Two, Starstruck on BBC Three, and Hull Razors on Channel 4. She's been a panellist and guest on The Jonathan Ross Show, Pointless Celebrities, Alan Davies' As Yet Untitled, Richard Ayoade's Question Team, and Hypothetical on Dave, and has performed on The Stand-Up Sketch Show, Late Night Mash, Harry Hill's Club Night, Comedy Central Live, and multiple series of The Emily Atak Show, for which she was also the lead writer. In fact, she's written for the BAFTA-winning Class Dismissed, and wrote on and starred in CBBC's hit show Big Fat Like. On radio, Amy played lead roles in the comedy series Phil Ellis's Trying and The Train at Platform 4 on Radio 4 and wrote and starred in Radio 2's comedy special The Delightful Sausage on Staycations. Amy is co-host of the hit podcast Northern News and alongside Izzy Sooty, she hosted the BBC's official companion piece to Happy Valley, obsessed with... Yep, you guessed, Happy Valley. Considering that Amy has only been performing for eight years, it's clear that, as the Evening Standard said, Amy Gledhill is a name to watch. And as I said, or am about to say, she's also a person I know you'll enjoy listening to. So here is the delightful Amy Gledhill. Amy Gledhill. 
Oh, imagine just doing the one thing. Yeah. The one thing in a year that you could really put your all into. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a dream, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it, Just? Well, you look at you. I mean, you've just come back from, I'm going to say it because I know I can say it, which is Machantlis. Look at that. And that's not Straight bad, is it? Straight in there. That was fantastic. I can only say it because my <laughs> wife lived near there when she was young and she taught me how oh, to really? say it. Yeah. Yes, I have just come back from there. It was wonderful. Oh. I absolutely love that place. My only gripe with it is that when the festival's on, because so many people travel to it, there's no accommodation. No. So you either have to go to a neighbouring town mm-hmm. like Aberystwyth yeah. or you have to... Grit your teeth and camp. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought I could camp. I really, really Mm. thought I could do that. And I I did the first, it wasn't even camping. (laughs) I did glamping. So somebody had already put the yurt up for me and I just had to trot in. But after the first night, it was gorgeous. But after the first night, I woke up and I took my jumper off and there was a spider (laughs) on me underneath my jumper. And I went, okay, no problem. And I immediately booked a premiere in Aberystwyth. (laughs) That was that. I was done. (laughs) Oh, I'm going glamping. Are you? Yes, I'm doing a festival. And they've said, would you like a, you know, a yurt? Gorgeous. And I was tempted to say, no, I've eaten. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. But uh, no, so we are. We're going to stay in yurts and uh, we'll see how we go. Which festival is it? Uh, Kite Festival. Nice. And it's got the Pretenders playing. Yeah, so it's not going to be sort of uh, burger stalls, is it? It's going no, to be I don't organic think so. farm produce. No, absolutely no. No, it would sound this. like people farting in the bath. It'd be falafels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that may be a panto joke. That is fantastic, wherever that's from. <laughs> Write that down. But I'm also going to say that you never stop, do you? You are doing loads of things. I mean, also, it's a fantastically brave thing to be in a really successful double act and then say, and I'm also going to go solo. Yeah. Is it brave? Is it brave? Is it silly? I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> is it greedy? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we, we were both doing solo things before we got together. Right. And yeah. I sort of put it on the back burner a little bit but I never fully stopped Hmm. and then um, we were going to take a year off Edinburgh and I was going to do a solo show and Chris was going to do a solo show Yeah. but then obviously the pandemic hit so neither of us went to Edinburgh that year Mm -hmm. and so the next year we'd both kind of started our solo shows and we wanted to do a show with our double act, which is called The Delightful Sausage. Yeah. You wouldn't get that at Kite Festival. <laughs> and um, and then it ended up that we were doing two shows at the festival apiece. And then they both went well, which is incredible. But also it means that both avenues are taking off at the same, <laughs> kind yeah. of at the same time. And so it means there's more plates to spin, you know? Yeah. You were both nominated for Outstanding Shows, weren't you? You solo and together. Yes. So the double act was nominated for Best Show Mm. at the festival and I was nominated for Newcomer because I'd never done a show there as a solo act before. (laughs) Brilliant. both categories, which has apparently never been done before in the in the history of the Perrier Awards. Oh, wow. Not bad. Not bad. Not a bad Edinburgh festival. Not bad, yeah. <laughs> I remember the start of the Perrier Awards. That's, that shows how old I am. <laughs> do you I, really? Yeah, I do, honestly. Yeah. I wow. think uh, it was, strangely enough, you would imagine that it being such an amazing award, I think the very first winners of the Perrier Award were the Cambridge Footlights. <laughs> oh, perfect, of course. Mm-hmm. It would be, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> That would have been Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. But they only got nominated once. They could have done twice if they'd have worked a bit harder. <laughs> they, they never came back. I don't know why. They could have made something of themselves. Well, we'll never know what they've been up to. No, no. Well, bless them, I hope they're happy. <laughs> But brilliant. I know a number of young stand-up comedians and I I so want them to succeed. Particularly people I've spoken to on this, you know. They've said, why have you asked me? Like you did, Amy. Why have you asked, you know, thank you very much. And I go, because I believe that one day people will say, can't believe you've got them on your podcast. Oh, that's lovely. You're hedging your bets. <laughs> no, I'm not really. Not really, but it would be lovely if, uh, you know, if I've been doing this for years and years and I could say, well, you know, I was the first person to get Harry Hill on. Yeah, of course. 
oh, there's so many comedy promoters who um, all have the same stories of being the first person <laughs> to put Peter Kay on or the first person, yeah. you know, to put John Bishop on. And you think, you can't all be the first ones, <laughs> surely. But so many, like, really, like, clubby northern comedy promoters will... Can't yeah. wait to, to tell you, them. you know. I spotted that talent when nobody else did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I did go to see Steve Coogan when he was a student. Did uh, you really? Yeah, I was a talent scout for Granada <gasps> Television. No way. And I went to see him afterwards and asked for a, do you have a tape? And he did have a little videotape of some stuff he'd put together. And I took it back and I showed it to the head of comedy at, at Granada and they got him in and offered him a contract. No. Oh my God, that's incredible. Particularly as he turned it down. That's how bold he was. What? I know. <laughs> well, he was a student. Yeah. My word. That is confident. Isn't it? <laughs> I wonder what's happened to him now. There you, know, you are. You see all those people's <laughs> lives I've ruined. <laughs> uh, and I love Hull. I've been up there recently, actually. Have you? Yeah. It's the truth in life that the further north you go, uh, until you hit the Scottish border, of course, uh, <laughs> people become nicer and nicer. <laughs> yeah, it is It is the truth. <laughs> I think it is. And, and, and I, when I moved to London, so I live in London now, I've lived here for about three years. Yeah. When I moved, I thought, oh, it can't really be true, you know. But it is. But I think the reason it is, is because everyone in London is so busy because you have to work so hard <laughs> to pay any rent on, you know, and everyone's yeah. living in. What boggles my mind is that when I was doing a comedy night and I was comparing and I was talking to the audience and I spoke to, to this this chap on the front row and uh, I said, what do you do? And he worked in the city, mm. you know, so he was doing something to do with banking. I didn't really understand. <laughs> and <laughs> and I was asking him um, whereabouts in London he lived and he was living in a flat share with four other people. Uh. And he was, I didn't ask his age, but, you know, he was... Um, late thirties, forties, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and he's in a flat share, and he's working. He's, you know, and he's got. He must have some sort of incredible job, and it's like, you know, one of my friends is is a lollipop lady in Hull, and she's bought her house outright. Yeah. <laughs> you think she's got spare rooms and a garden, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, a, I think that must be why people are a little bit friendlier up north, because I think in a strange way we have a. I wouldn't say better quality of life. We have a much different quality of life, you know. I mean, maybe it makes sense to live there. Yeah, my parents have just moved house mm. and they live on just on the outskirts of Hull now and they've got four bedrooms and it's not because they're well off, it's just because you can. Yeah, why not? And, <laughs> why not? Why wouldn't you? So they've got this four-bedroomed, lovely four-bedroomed house with big garden mm. and for the same price, my boyfriend has got a tiny flat in London and you could buy two of my parents' houses for the same price as his flat in a block of flats. That's crazy, And isn't I it? just, yeah, it just, I know it's such a stereotype for Northerners to, to be like, oh, the price of it down here, but it blows my mind. <laughs> you as a young person will feel the pressure to come down here. Yeah. I'm not sure it's absolutely true. There are lots of other places you could live, you could centre your life. Yes. Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, yeah. lots of places like that you could do, yeah. but then the opportunities are not quite as many as they are in London. And no. so as a result, you're being asked to somehow stump up two and a half grand a month <laughs> you know, for some yeah. shithole. It's a, it's, <laughs> let's start the revolution now, Amy. Come on, it's ridiculous. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. On. Let's do it. <laughs> Drug dealing, that's the answer. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or become king. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got plenty of spare rooms. Uh, so, Amy, look, I'm not going to keep you forever because it's unfair. So I'm going to ask you to tell me the five things that you've chosen to put into a time capsule from your life. Perfect. Brilliant. I have to say it was a lot easier thinking of the thing that I wanted to get rid of. Was it? <laughs> I found it really easy to be like, oh, yeah, there's loads of things I could get rid of. <laughs> but what do I want to keep? <laughs> All right, then. Okay, well, let's have a go at it. Let's see what the first thing is that you'd put in. Okay, so the first thing I'd put in is my first ever ballroom dancing dress. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so wow. when, I was, when I was a kid, well, from for quite a big period of my life, really, from being about five to being about 15, mm. I was super into... <laughs> 
into ballroom dancing. Don't laugh. And it was, it sort of, well, it sort of came out of the blue because nobody in my area was interested in it. <laughs> nobody in my age or in my family was interested in it. But for whatever reason, I was like, yeah, I want, I want to be a ballroom dancer. <laughs> <laughs> And this would have been before people were all watching Strictly and things like that. Oh, absolutely. This is when it was very uncool. Yeah, Mm. it's very cool now. And it's it's actually a viable career. Mm. But back then, I don't know where it came from, but that was it. My parents are so supportive. Mm. You know, we're working class, but very aspirational. So that it was very much the, you can do anything you want to, Amy, kind of thing. You know, they'd bend over backwards to get me to... To ballroom lessons. So that's a move in ballroom dancing, <laughs> it isn't is. it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very impressive one. Yeah. <laughs> pop, pop that in a passadoble, you'll get full marks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I remember we'd go to lessons during the week and then on a Sunday we'd, we'd sort of travel around the country doing ballroom and Latin competitions. And the big deal is when you first get a boy who's a partner. So Mm. when you're sort of trying it out and doing sort of local lessons, because there's so many girls that do it and very few boys. Boys Mm. are like gold dust. (laughs) So you'd sort of dance with your friends and, you know, and other girls. But then when you... Well, at least back then, when you wanted to take things a little bit more seriously, you had to be in a boy-girl partnership. Yeah. And so the first time I got a... Yeah, a boy to dance with. It was a real huge deal. And that meant that I got a very, we upgraded and I got a special ballroom gown rather than a bit more of a homemade DIY effort. We we forked out for one and it was incredible. And I wish I'd have kept it because it was, yeah, it was such a big deal for me to have this little dress. How old were you, Amy, when that happened? I would say I was probably about... Hmm, 10 or 11. Quite young then. So I'd been dancing since I was about five and then took it really seriously about then. Yeah, and we got this dress and it was this sort of beautiful, sort of corally red colour. And it had all lace on the top and lace sleeves and then it was all floaty like a little princess dress at the bottom. (laughs) And it was so weird because I wasn't a girly kid. I was very much like a scruffy tomboy and I would never, Mm. and my mum really was really happy to have a young girl and be like, oh, I'm going to dress her up, but I didn't want any of it. I really, really very much wanted to wear only my older brother's school shirts, which went down to the ground, um, mucky trainers. <laughs> and when I was really young, I because I, I think I'd seen my dad do it or whatever, I used to want to shave. So when I, <laughs> when I was a little girl, I'd sometimes have like a big scab on my chin because I'd go into the bathroom and... <laughs> put some shaving foam on because I'd seen dad do it and, and I'd shave and my mum would be like have you been shaving again and I'd be saying no she would just be red raw she'd be like Amy that's not for you so, not until you're over 50 yeah. these days will come Amy don't you don't you rush your childhood so yeah just yeah. wasn't a girly girl at all but Put me in a ballroom dress and I was over the moon. But luckily you had somewhere you could go, though, to fulfil this ambition. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we went to uh, this brilliant dance school in Hull called Doris Myers. It's closed now. But she was this wonderful older lady who was like a sort of ballroom champion in her day. Mm. And when I joined her school, she was maybe... I don't know, in her 70s or 80s, but she yeah. still had the glint in her eyes and you could see how much she loved it. So we'd go we'd go every single week and I didn't tell any of my school friends or anything that I was <laughs> I was into ballroom dancing because on a <laughs> on a sort of council estate school, I think I would have got my head kicked in. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so I kept that under wraps. But um for the competitions, uh we would my mum would put um a bit of fake tan on me, little fake nails and things like that and it meant on a Monday when I went to school, I'd still have like orange elbows from the fake tan and, you know, just like <laughs> bits of like patchy skin and bits of glue on my nails. And if any of the kids asked about it, I 
fucking didn't want to say I was into ballroom dancing. So I said, um, I said, oh, I've got a disease and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I think I pretty much got away with it. <laughs> it takes some dedication, though, doesn't it, from parents, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, how far did you travel for competitions in the end? Oh, really far. You know, like Blackpool, obviously. Right. And Did you um, dance at the ballroom in Blackpool? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It was gorgeous. I've danced there. Have you really? I have, yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that weird? I did a comedy show long, long time ago with Kate Robbins. Oh, wow. We did a ballroom dancing sort of spoof. And so all these fantastic ballroom dancers came in and we had to be amongst them. I learned to waltz properly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I've met Kate. Yeah, she's lovely, isn't she? Yeah, she's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, what are the chances? Well, if you ever fancy a, a spin, I'm Ooh. all up for it. <laughs> I'll see you in Do you Blackpool. still do it? No, I stopped no. when I was about when I was about 15 or 16. Mm. I stopped sort of for a number of reasons, really. But I think mainly when you're at that age, I think I sort of just wanted to talk to boys yeah. and eat crisps and do underage drinking. Mm. And and being a dancer, it's quite, um, you have to take it quite seriously or just not bother. I think at that, because it was getting to the point where it's like I was auditioning for the British team and things like that. It was like, I was doing very well. Mm. But back then it wasn't a career like it is now. Like there was a lot of people I danced with and used to compete against are all on Strictly now, but that didn't exist. So it kind of felt like you'd get to a point and then you'd just stop. There wasn't, or you'd teach. And mm. that was it, really. So I think I kind of couldn't see a future in it. And, yeah, then got lazy, wanted crisps. <laughs> no, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it, that whole, that programme, what it's done for people who, who do yes. ballroom dancing. Oh my and God, the fact yeah. that the whole nation recently has mourned Len Goodman. I mean, what a yes. great man, but what yeah. a fantastic character. And it's an extraordinary thing that a man who had a dance school in Cholton or wherever it was. Yes, you know, yeah. And there he is. Everybody knows him. There's not a person in the country, if you say seven, doesn't know what they're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that programme's done so much for what I think is like a wonderful, I think ballroom dancing's sort of wonderful mm. and it's so creative and anyone can do it because what you see on the telly is obviously like super challenging, yeah. expert level stuff, but you can go to a lesson at any age if you're five, if you're 85, and you can learn the simple steps, but it still feels as good to do it. Mm. I think when you are ballroom dancing, it's... I, I, <laughs> I'm not like um, a sporty person, but I imagine it's what, you know, if you're running really, really fast feels like, or if you're riding a horse really fast, or if you're ice skating or something, there's like a really beautiful state of mind that you can get into while you're while you're doing the waltz you know no, I, I completely <laughs> understand what you're saying I mean it's a lovely thing I'm really envious of people who could dance so beautifully and so naturally and that takes a lot of effort mm. that's why I'm envious of it and I'm but I'm lazy enough to <laughs> have never got there you know but I mean you, you put years and years and years of training into making it look that easy and that's why it's so beautiful to watch I think yeah and it is, and it is a good spectator sport as well because I think it is wonderful to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put that dress in your first dress. Oh, lovely! Glinting away, <laughs> and I'm delighted to put it in because I have a vision now of you. I don't know in thirty years' time or something, being at some friend's child's wedding, and somebody's suddenly putting on some piece of music. And you happen to have been speaking to a man who says, yeah, I did a bit of ballroom dancing. Actually, I got almost to uh, England level. You say, so did I. Go, oh. And then this piece of music comes on and you say, shall we? Oh, stop it. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody stops while you glide around the room. Just beautiful. Oh, I love this. I've got a new ambition. <laughs> this yeah. is what I want to happen. I'm going to have to set it up though. I'm going to have to orchestrate uh, having a friend who's got a child who's getting married. I'm going to have to set all that up. I'm going to have to do yeah. it all. <laughs> but that sounds brilliant. Once you've got that skill, you'll never lose it. It'll be there forever. Yes. Well, that's the thing. You, yeah, you don't forget it. I did a corporate gig where it was, well, it's, I say corporate, but it, it, was, a, it was like a 
birthday party um, in a big hall and the person whose birthday it was was into ballroom dancing. So mm. when I was booked, they were like, if you could talk about some ballroom dancing things, that would be great. So I did that. And then afterwards they were like, would you like to stay for a dance? And it was this <sighs> wonderful chap whom I think it was maybe his, his uh, 70th. And we, I didn't even know if I'd remember it, but he said, would you like to do the quick step? Oh. And I was like, yes, please. And well, we went round and round and round and it was absolutely magnificent. Uh. And you think, if you, I think if you thought about the steps, you'd forget it. But mm-hmm. if you just, but it's just muscle memory. So if you just start, oh my God, we were dancing for ages. And then I was like, right, I really do have to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more time round. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't wait. I'm going to come to Edinburgh in a couple of years' time and see your ballroom dancing show where you, oh, yes, you combine stand-up comedy and at the end you finish with a, with a dance routine. Love that. <laughs> yeah. It's going to sell out now. Just mention it to people. You've sold it out already. It's Get brilliant. your tickets. Love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So that's it. That's your first thing. Let's move on to number two. So number two, I want to put in... The VHS of Faulty Towers, mm. which was the first VHS we had when we got a, a VHS player. Well, we got <laughs> two. So my my dad had Faulty Towers and they bought me Aladdin and we got it at Christmas. Mm. And my <laughs> my mum and dad said, right, we're going to put Faulty Towers on. And I remember crying and saying, <laughs> I don't want to watch it. It sounds rubbish. I want to watch Aladdin. <laughs> And my mum would say, no, you like this, it's funny, and it's about a man who runs a hotel. And I was going, <laughs> no, I don't want to watch it. And then they put it on, and within about, oh, under three minutes, I mm. was like, okay, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And I I think I do comedy because of Faulty Towers, because I think it was, it was just the best thing I'd ever seen. And watching my mum and dad howl with laughter, you know, with like tears <laughs> rolling down the face and just being like, oh, yeah. I think I want to do that. That looks brilliant. So I had this VHS and I used to watch it and watch it and watch it. (laughs) And then I used to write out the script by pausing it and then writing it down and then pressing play and then pausing it and then writing down. And yeah, I think I was a real... I'm painting myself as a real loser as a child, a ballroom <laughs> dancing, faulty towers watching, eight-year-old. Who is this? <laughs> I can see all these scripts all stained with false tan. <laughs> but I think that's an, an amazing thing to do. Of course, there aren't many episodes. I think there are 12. 12, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's ridiculous that something should be so well-known and so revered Yeah, when they did so few of them. Yeah, well, they're doing some more now, which mm, between you and me, idea? no, don't touch no. it. Leave it alone. Leave it alone, John Cleese. Oh, don't. <laughs> Please don't put any dye in your hair. Please don't. <laughs> you know, but we all fall for that as we get older. People go, oh, do it again, do it again. I can't, oh. Oh, all right, I'll have a go. Oh, no, don't. don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. It was so perfect. Mm. And I don't think anyone... I've never met anyone who has a bad word to say about it. It might not be their favourite, but you can't say it's sloppy or not well acted. It's so tightly scripted and the structure of the episodes is like a masterclass. And oh my God, I think it's just brilliant. And yeah. Mm. Isn't that interesting that you wrote it down though? Yeah. Because you must have noticed that tightness you must have noticed yeah. how how lean it was as a script how perfectly yeah. phrased everything was well i think like basically every line either has a joke in it or has something that's so funny about that character in it mm-hmm. or is it performed in such a way that it can get a laugh there's no fluff there's no, no padding every single line is like bulletproof I just think it's yeah I think it's wonderful and actually when I was in uh when I was in school we had to do a project and I wrote for my project I wrote a Faulty Towers script Uh and um do you know we found it when my parents moved house it's a lot better than I think I could do now to be honest it was (laughs) really it was really good yeah it was it was about I mean good for for a a young person, let's say. But mm-hmm. it was about the opening of the hotel. It was having a reopening mm. and Basil couldn't find a ribbon 
or scissors. So he used some toilet roll and some <laughs> garden shears. And O'Reilly, the builder, was there and it was all going wrong. And I was like, oh my God, do you know what? I'm going to pitch this. Yeah. Well, I, I'd get in touch with him now because he's, he's desperately trying to write things for Disney or whatever it is. You know? Yeah. I auditioned for him once. Did you? Oh I my went to his house. God. Oh my God. How was that? It was fabulous, really fabulous. He was delightful. Uh, he lived in Notting Hill at the time and he owned this beautiful house, which was two houses, two of those great big houses in Notting Hill. And oh he had a God. tunnel between the two of them. Oh, my God, that's mm. so cool. Isn't it? Ah! I know. He knew all about things that I'd done. I was, that was the most thrilling thing. That he was saying to me, I really loved that comedy you did and I, that, <gasps> this is good. And so he knew my work. That's so cool. Oh, don't. Do you know, I've almost forgotten that that happened to me. And now you talking about him, I suddenly think, oh, yeah. And then I did also the remake of, I've I've just remembered this as well, actually. Oh, my God. Most of my (laughs) life, I've almost forgotten. (laughs) It's why I do this podcast, to remind myself of the things I've done. (laughs) He made all those training films years and years ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then some years later... He realised that they were becoming outdated because basically all the boardroom scenes were just a bunch of men. Most of them had moustaches and sideburns and they all smoked (laughs) cigarettes and there were no women apart from secretaries. Of course, right. So he recast it and remade them. And I played one of the characters through it. Oh, wow. I played the young office boy. Did you get to work with him? I did. In a, in a scene? Lots and lots of scenes. He oh, was, my God. It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> because actually he had this, he was so calm about it all and he knew it so well that he would talk to you right up to the point when you started. So oh the God. person would say, okay, we're going for a take with scene three, all right, everybody? And he'd go, and then I said to him, and we were walking down the street, and he had the most extraordinary manner of walking. And it was one of the reasons we did the sketch in Monty Python. And you're going, yeah, yeah. And they go, okay, in five, four, three... And he'd go, and uh, and that's why I'll finish it later. Now, Johnson, and he'd go into the character, oh and, you'd, my and you'd be going, God. "Oh, Jesus Christ, we've started!" Oh my God, I'd be freaking out. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, I need thirty seconds just to remember where I am and what I'm meant to be doing, because I'd just be like, "Oh my God, you're John Cleese! Oh my God, yes, you're John Cleese! Oh my God!" <laughs> While he was talking, I'd just be like, "Oh my God!" But he was, wow. he was. Really delightful. It was really thrilling. Oh, that's delightful to hear because you never know. Mm. You know, you never know about these people. And because he plays such angry, pent-up, erratic men, you yes. think, oh, I wonder, wonder if he's channeling something there. But, oh, it's good to hear he was good to work with. Yeah, there we are. Oh, well. You right, could put that in your me. time capsule. Enough about me. <laughs> no, no. So how late in the buying of VHS players did you go before you managed to get one as a family? Pretty late, I think. Mm. Just because my parents aren't that bothered by, by no, stuff. No. I think they've still only got four channels. They're just not... <laughs> They're just no. not interested. Um, <laughs> They've got four bedrooms. That's, it's a channel per bedroom. You only need four channels, four bedrooms. That's fine. <laughs> Everything's in fours. Everything's in fours. Keep it nice and simple. <laughs> My mum, actually, I did a, a recording of a TV show yesterday called uh, Rod Gilbert's Growing Pains. Oh, brilliant. And we had to bring someone on who knew us in our teenage years. And my mum was the guest and she's never done anything like it before. So she did this, you know, she made a TV debut and it was all very exciting and she got hair and makeup and she was being treated really well and it was brilliant. And I was like, oh, mum, you did so well, but you can't wait to watch it. And she was like, well, I don't have that channel. <laughs> I won't be watching it. It's like, bloody hell, no. mother. Fork out, get a free view box. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant though. I love Rod Gilbert. Oh, he was so nice. He was in great form yesterday. Wonderful. I'd never met him before and I met him for the first time. I was in the dressing room with my mum and we had the door open Mm. and um, he was in the dressing room opposite with the door closed and then at one point... He burst out of the dressing room with his top off, trying to find a runner. And then he was like, oh, hello. He was like, oh, gosh, um, what I'll do is I'll put a top on and then we'll do this again and I'll <laughs> and I'll say hello properly. And then he disappears and then he comes back out with a top on and he's like, hello. <laughs> and I think my mum was like, he can keep his top off if he likes. It's like, all right, mum, calm down. <laughs> 
He did one episode of DIY SOS. Do you know that program? I do know that program. He did one episode of it and he was just gorgeous on it because he he cried all the way through. You know, like when you're watching it, you know you're going to cry. Yeah. When they show people around the house. Yeah. You know you're going to (laughs) cry. But normally, everybody's quite good at holding it together until that moment. No, not Rod. From the very first moment. So we've got these um, lovely, uh, oh, my God, I'm going already. Bloody hell. It was just, it was so gorgeous. Oh, my God. Oh, I'll have to dig that out. That sounds brilliant. Oh, I mean, it sounds a bit like I'm trying to match your anecdotes now, so I'll probably cut this bit out because... No, please don't. That's gorgeous. And there's another one, which I'm going to do it now, because I'm going to say that yesterday I saw Hugh Laurie. (gasps) No. Oh, my God. He was my biggest crush, you know. He's a very good-looking man because of his talent, I think, and because of his wit. His wit, his talent, and his sparkly, twinkly eyes. Yeah. So you saw you, Laurie, yesterday. Yeah, well, sadly, at a funeral, but, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. But we had a lovely chat. I did an episode of Avenue 5, which is a comedy show that he does yeah and I said to him have you seen my episode of he said your episode I said well I like to think of it as my episode (laughs) he said well but uh, we very much do I think everybody refers to it as Mike's episode (laughs) (laughs) it's only fair have you seen it and he said uh, no no I never watch myself oh really yeah isn't that interesting and I actually I haven't seen it either but not because I don't watch myself but because I can't afford to have the channel that is on oh my mum <laughs> I've got four I don't need them anymore thank you very much <laughs> so he's Hugh nice as well lovely really oh. lovely man yeah what a yeah. lovely exchange <laughs> nice isn't it <laughs> it's really sweet and funny I know. well done everybody <laughs> well done there we are and that's it that's my life which is just weird isn't it John Cleese and Hugh Laurie and two anecdotes Amy you don't need to talk anymore I'm just going to tell anecdotes now that's it fine who else no. do you know Mike no don't don't it's exactly what I don't want to do on this no, podcast I love, I don't, this no. is brilliant this is great for me <laughs> I know my stories I want to know about you and no, John Cleese and Hugh Laurie yours. I know we're going to take that tape of 40 towers in it goes into the time capsule brilliant wrap it in the dress keep it safe yeah that's only two we've done we've got three more to go so we better move on what's number three Okay, sorry to interrupt this episode, but unless you're an Acast Plus subscriber to this podcast, we now have to play you some ads to try and pay for the time me and John spend making my time capsule. But never fear, unless there is actually something to be frightened of, like an escaped tiger, in which case do fear, but in this case there are none, so I suppose it would be more sensible to say, don't fear at this moment. We will return, if that makes any sense to you. 
because um, I just love to see, I've, obviously I don't have it now, but I just, I want to see the text messages because <laughs> I think it would be like a diary, you know, like a little teenage diary, but it's gone, it's lost. And I'd love to have a, have a read through, see what my teenage brain was doing. Or maybe I was, yeah, I think I was 13 when I got my first phone and it mm. was a huge deal. Oh my God, that was a big day in the Gledhill household. <laughs> well, they weren't cheap. No. What was it? Do you remember? It was, everybody had a Nokia and I didn't. I had a little Samsung, whatever was around at the time. Mm. And it wasn't a flip phone. It was very much like a little block. It had a little aerial thing on it. I don't think the aerial came out necessarily, but there was a little aerial on it. Mm. And I was so proud of it. I um, I got a school bag, which had... Uh, it was like a crossbody bag and then it had a little pouch for your mobile phone right on the front and I used to walk around with it like front and centre. <laughs> Waiting for it to ring. It never did. Obviously, nobody else had one. But I was so delighted. It did get stolen from school. Oh, no. And it's no, I, I think I deserved it. I was walking around just absolutely flashing absolutely. it all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I remember I know exactly who stole it because um he told me he'd stolen it. What? And then he asked me out. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting method. Yeah. Um, I've nicked your bike as well. <laughs> now can I take your virginity? No, thank you, Brett. <laughs> no, thank you. That's locked up. <laughs> you say, yeah, yeah, you've got my number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me a call. <laughs> what an extraordinary thing to do. Yeah. What a shame, though, that all those text messages, you're right, that is a thing that disappears. Now, of course, they wouldn't. Now you'd be able to retrieve them from the cloud or... Exactly. it's like WhatsApp. Yeah. Occasionally you go there and it says, do you want to remove any of this or archive any of it? Yeah. I've never done any of that. Mine go back right to the first time I had it. (gasps) That's the thing. I wish you could see messages from 10 or more years ago because it just gives you such a snapshot. I've got a diary, what I kept around 2003. I don't know why. It was just for a brief period I had this diary. And um, in it, I'd written out some text messages, Mm. exactly how they were from, you know, various boys that I had a crush on. And um, even just reading them in the diary, you get such a, a snapshot of like the entire time and how you were feeling at that time and who you were hanging around with and, oh, yeah. And the language that you use as the well. The language, yeah. And also back then it was very brief because if you went over a certain amount of characters, then you'd have to pay 24p instead of 12p for the text, you know. Yeah, and you're not going to send many texts, are you? Because it, no. it, it added up that, didn't it? You, you have a quick exchange now. Yeah. People are going, I'll see you at four, whereabouts, yeah. by the station, <laughs> Yeah. which yeah. side. So you go, why don't you ring me? I think it's fine for young people, and I say that from a person who still does his text messages with one finger. Perfect. I have a conversation with people who rather sensibly use probably two thumbs. They will ask me a question in a text, and then while I'm writing the answer, they will ask me another one (laughs) because they think, well, obviously he's not going to answer that. And I'm going, no, I'm I'm working on it. Calm down, yeah. Or ring me, just ring me. Yes. Yeah. I remember getting a text off my mum. I'd asked her for a phone number and it was, I mean, this was a while ago, but she couldn't find how to change from letters to numbers on her keypad. So she typed out this mobile phone number, but spelling each number. So it was like O-N-E. S-E-V-E-N, S-E-V-E-N. It's like, ah, oh, okay. Oh, that's really lovely though, isn't it? It's really it? lovely. And when I was travelling once, I got an email from them because that's the only way we could sort of communicate and they hadn't really sent many emails before. And I got this gorgeous email where it was, she was sort of typing in kind of real time what she was doing. So she was like, hello, it's me, it's your mum, I'm typing now. I'm writing you this email. Your dad's in the bath, but when he comes down, he's going to type for a bit. But at the moment, it's me, your mum, and I'm typing the email. (laughs) And then it'd be like, hello, it's your dad, I'm typing the email now. I've just had a bath and your mum was typing, but now it's me, your dad, and I'm typing the email. And it was like, oh my God, that's adorable. It was 
was gorgeous. It was such a cute thing to get. It was wonderful. I think I received one text message from my mother and it really was written like a letter. Oh. So she must have spent ages on it because it was very difficult, but it had all the punctuation that she'd done. Dear Michael. Comma. Oh, and then was it new paragraph? New paragraph, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's gorgeous. I only remember it. Again, as you say, I don't have that. I've lost it. It was on an old phone. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, it's nice that you can think of those things. And in a way, the very thought of it takes you back there. Yeah. But now, of course, you've got the phone in the time capsule. There it oh, is. Oh, I do. My little Samsung there. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Okay, Amy, that's three things. Yeah. So we've got two more to put in, mm-hmm. one you want to keep and one you'd like to bury and forget. Yes. So the final thing I want to put in there was my most treasured toy. And it was a sheep. Well, it was a lamb. Yeah. A big fluffy lamb, really soft with sort of wobbly legs. And it was called Simba because I really liked The Lion King, but was really bad at naming things. (laughs) (laughs) And I carried this around this and it's a big, it's a big lamb. You know, it's not small. It's like, you know, an adult would carry it under their arm. It's like this huge huge teddy. Almost full size. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is. (laughs) And I'd have it everywhere. It had to come to every restaurant we went to. It needed its own seat, Simba the lamb. And I loved it. And because it had these wobbly legs, Mm. like really soft legs, you could sort of lay in it almost, like put the legs around you. Or you could use it as almost like a little chair. Almost like a little beanbag. It was so big and and soft. Um, And my partner recently bought me a present. I thought you were going to say at the time. (laughs) I was really disturbed by that. Yeah, yeah, my my fiancé at the time when I was six. (laughs) (laughs) No, my current partner Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, bought me a present recently, which sort of reminded me of Simba. And then I was like, oh my God, I miss Simba so much. So my my partner had bought me a cushion for Mm. the bed. And he was like, don't panic about what it says on the label. And on the label, it says a pregnancy pillow. Now, I am not pregnant or trying to get pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God, what does this mean? But it's like a horseshoe-shaped, huge, soft pillow. Mm. And you can sort of lay in it. But it, And it's, oh, my God, it's brilliant. It's so good for your back and your legs. And, oh, it's brilliant. But, it, mm. yeah, as soon as I got in it, I was like, oh. Oh my God, Simba, Simba the lamb. So reducing the size of the two things down to you at six with Simba. Yes, That's yes. what it's like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a safe place, isn't it? It is a safe place. There in Simba's arms. Oh, oh Simba. Oh, <laughs> I miss you. Um, but because of, I loved Simba so much, I've genuinely never eaten lamb in my life, in my adult life or anything. Right. And I, th- I, think it go- I think it goes back to this teddy. But you eat other meat. Yeah. I've had lots of periods of being vegetarian and vegan mm. and certain things. At the minute, I'm eating meat, but mm-hmm. still, even in my most meat-eating days, I would never have lamb, ever, no. No, I completely understand that. I remember my daughter doing the same thing. Oh, Just really? suddenly that being aware that what she was eating was these animals. Yeah. That was it. She stopped. Yeah. She started again when she became pregnant. So watch out for that pregnancy pillow. (laughs) It's a lovely thing, I think, that memory of the cuddle of a childhood toy and holding it. Because you are, as you say, remembering it as this giant thing. So you described it, the sort of thing as an an adult would have under its arm. So large, but not huge, just huge to you. Yes, exactly that. Because it was so big, it felt ultra safe and comforting to have there. And it was like having, it's like having a friend, I suppose, because it's probably about the same size as a six-year-old. <laughs> that fondness that children have to one toy, yeah, they have a bond with it, which is quite extraordinary, isn't it? My grandson yeah. has a bond to a little thing called Buddy. It's just a sort of a cloth hanging off a teddy bear's head. He's had it since he was very small. It was, I think it may have been his first word, buddy. And he still has it. And it's now so threadbare that it doesn't leave his room. Oh, really? It lives under his pillow. But the fear when he was young that he would lose it, because he had it with him all the time, everywhere. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it, for a parent to not lose it? A lot of pressure, 
is terrifying. My son had a, a hedgehog. Um, both of them are less inventive with their names than even you think you are. <laughs> so he had a hedgehog called Heggy, <laughs> and Natty had a despair. It's called Buddy because that's what it said on the box. Your Buddy doesn't need to be any more complicated than oh. that. There you go. I don't want to call it Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. I love Simba. What lovely things you put into your time capsule. Oh, thank you. It's been nice thinking about them all, you know. It's such a joy to indulge yourself in Simba. (laughs) (laughs) And old text messages and Basil Fawlty and the little dress that I used to love putting on. Yeah, it's really lovely. Ah, brilliant. We're going to put Simba in there. That's four lovely things. Now, all we have to do is, out of the plethora of things that you'd like to bury and forget, (laughs) you're going to pick one. Yes. Okay. I know exactly the one. It is a Smarties mug that I got with an Easter egg. Ah. Yes. So I don't know why, but there was the, it always used to be you'd get your Easter egg and it'd always come with a mug. I don't know what the correlation <laughs> between chocolate eggs and mugs are, but it was always you got your, you got your mug, you got your Easter egg. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember getting this Smarties mug and it was a really dark brown colour with a few colourful Smarties on the side. And um, I once reached for it in the cupboard. And I pulled it down and I put water in it and put it to my lips. And then I realised that there was this huge spider in it that I hadn't seen because it was a dark coloured mug. It was the same Mm. colour as a spider and its legs was all squashed up against the side. And it freaked me out. And you immediately booked yourself a room at a Premier Inn (laughs) in Aberystwyth. Straight away. First thing I did, on the phone. Any collection with spiders, that's where I'm heading. Get me to with quick. <laughs> Please. So are you particularly frightened of spiders then? I am, but I wasn't because I, my mum said as a kid, I'd, you know, I'd collect them, pick them up, wasn't bothered by them. But this mug must have changed it. It flipped a switch in my head yeah. and it made me really frightened of them. And I wish, I really wish I wasn't scared of spiders because I do think it puts a little bit of um, a limit on some things that I'd like to do that I'm too scared to do. So I kind of wish I'd never had this mug and maybe I'd be fine in a yurt or I'd visit Australia (laughs) or I'd be able to clean uh, behind the washing machine. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no, when you get invited to the Adelaide Festival and all those sort of things, you'll be thinking, oh, the place is full of spiders. Yeah, exactly. I think I was the same. First time I went to Australia, I never sat down on a toilet without first checking there wasn't some spider across it that was going to bite my genitals. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Always banged my shoes out oh because I thought they were out to get me. Yeah, of course. I don't like spiders either, but uh, you're right. It is a limiting thing and it doesn't make any sense at all. I have another gra- now it sounds like I've got millions of grandsons, but I have another <laughs> grandson, the third one that I haven't mentioned, who will absolutely just walk up and pick them up and just take really? them outside. There we are. That's that done. Not bothered. Oh, I could use his services sometimes. Mm. There was once I lived in York and it's the only time I've ever lived properly on my own and I love living on my own oh my god Mm -hmm. I think it's brilliant the only downside is if there's a spider because it ruins the day and I remember once coming home from work and I'd worked at the York dungeon so I'd been sat dressed as a scary zombie all day (laughs) listening to horror sounds in the dark telling people about the plague pulling fake intestines out of a fake dead body you know really scary stuff I'd done that all day I came home, I opened my door and I saw like a pretty big spider on the wall in the living room. Mm. And before I took my shoes and coat off, I just went back, I locked the door, I left <laughs> I left my house and I, I didn't know what to do. And I had so much adrenaline. I was walking past the bus stop, which uh, the bus to Hull goes from, and I just got on the bus to Hull <laughs> and I went back to my parents' house. Oh. And they were like, what are you doing? I was like, there was a spider. Oh, <laughs> like, no. no, Amy, you can't do this. <laughs> I didn't know what to do, I was panicking. <laughs> oh, no, I have every sympathy. Oh. You know when you... <laughs> sort of in the autumn when they, they come in 
to get out of the cold. So, well, yes. I suppose they're house spiders, they're hunters. Yeah. Those ones that you'll be sitting on the sofa and suddenly this thing runs yes. across the floor. Oh, my God. I freak out. Yeah. I run out the room. Do you? Because I think I'm what it's hunting. <laughs> which yeah. is completely mad. It's mad. They're surely running away from you. Surely they must be. Surely, of us. yeah, they're hiding. Absolutely, that's the sensible thing to realise, isn't it? Instead of they've gone under the sofa so they can creep round the back and leap on my neck. Yeah, they're going to yeah. try and pull my eyes out or get down my throat. <laughs> it's what yeah, my wife know. tells me. She'll come outside and say, "It's coming! Quick, run!" And I genuinely do. She's the same. She will pick them up and just really? say, don't be ridiculous, for goodness sake. And then she'll let them go and then go, ah, as if she's been bitten. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I couldn't deal with that. I lose any sense of humour if there's a spider involved. Yeah. I can't. Oh, yeah. If 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 there is one and I, and I get my boyfriend to get it, He'll get it and he'll put it out of the window or whatever and it'll be gone, but he'll keep his hands together and he's like, oh. I don't know where to put it, I don't know where to put it. And I'm like, get rid of it! <laughs> get rid of it! And he's like, I don't really have it. Or, you know, but any kind of joke. Or he'll say, oh, I've lost it. And I'll be like, <laughs> don't make a joke when there's a spider involved. It's too much. <laughs> 42 years I've been married and uh, it's amazing that I've survived this long. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? The key is that you've found a partner who's not scared of spiders. I think if you were both terrified, maybe it wouldn't work out, you know? No. <laughs> no, we would have to bring someone in, wouldn't we? That's no good. You don't want You'd a third person a in a relationship no. like that. No. <laughs> well, that disgusting Smarties mug. Yeah. I can picture now this creature coming out of the deep brown bottom of yes. the mug. What do they think you're going to put in there? Hot chocolate only? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't know. Do you know, yeah. um, I think I have one of those mugs. Do you? Somewhere in my house, yeah. Get rid of it immediately. It's in the bottom of a cupboard. I'm <gasps> never going to look at it. I can't. No, you mustn't. No. Get your grandson round. Say you've got a present for him. It's a, it's a mug. It's a dark brown mug. Search it out and get rid of it. <laughs> Amy, I've had such a lovely time talking to you. Annoyingly, quite often talking at you. I apologise. No, not at all. No, it's been such a treat. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for hedging your bets. No, I'm fairly <laughs> confident with you. Oh, thank you. It's so lovely to talk to you. Have a fantastic time and I hope the tour goes swimmingly well, which I'm sure it will do. Yeah, as long as there's no spiders in the venues, we're going to have an absolute blast. <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Amy Gledhill. Thanks for listening. We have lots of other episodes, of course, all worth listening to, I hope, and you can listen to any of them at any time by subscribing on your podcast provider, and then we will send you all new episodes as they become available. If you want to see what we're up to and what's coming up, you can follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Feel free to contact us at any time through any of those social media platforms. You can download or stream the theme music by Pass the Peas Music on Spotify. And if you'd like to help us afford to keep making this podcast, then for a small monthly fee, you can subscribe to Acast Plus, as I mentioned before, and get this podcast ad-free, if that's what you like. This cast-off production was produced by John Fenton-Stevens for Acast. And there you go, another Mind Time Capsule out into the world. Our aim is always to entertain and possibly, like the BBC, inform. Well, for example, you found out in this episode that the first winners of the Perrier Award at the Edinburgh Festival were the Cambridge Footlights, with the fantastic cast Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Tony Slattery, Emma Thompson, Paul Shearer, and the person nobody ever mentions, Penny Dwyer. That was in 1981. Since then, of course, there have been loads of other great winners, although it's always interesting to see who else they were up against that didn't get the award. For example, in the year that Frank Skinner got the award, 1991, the other nominees included Jack D, Lily Savage and Eddie Izzard. Tough year. And the next year, Steve Coogan and John Thompson beat Joe Brand, John Shuttleworth and Mark Thomas. 
Dylan Moran in 1996 beat Bill Bailey, Rich Hall and Al Murray, among others, and they were followed by the League of Gentlemen, holding off Milton Jones, Graham Norton, Johnny Vegas and Al Murray again. That's got to be the toughest year. Actually, Al did eventually win in 1999. Al's been nominated five times, winning only once. But the person we should really feel for is the brilliant James Acaster. I'm sure his life's lovely, but he was nominated five times over five consecutive years, but he never won. But then again, Sean Walsh never won. Nick Helm didn't win. Nish Kumar, Adam Hills, Josie Long, and my guest Amy didn't win. It's a tough old game comedy. But to quote the great Bob Monkhouse, when I was a boy, I told everyone I wanted to be a comedian, and they all laughed at me. Haha, <laughs> they're not laughing now. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.